Hello and welcome to Well Versed. Learn English through poetry. Before we begin, I just wanted to mention that you can find a full transcription of this episode at wellversedpoetrypod.wordpress.com or simply follow the link in the podcast description. I would recommend that you listen to the episode first, then go back and use the transcription to check on anything that you found difficult. After that, listen again to reinforce what you have learned. So, since this is our very first episode, I decided that we should look at something big, something momentous. Today's topic, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than the end of the world, the apocalypse. Now, when this poem was written, it's easy to understand why you might be led to contemplate the end of the world. It was 1920. The First World War had recently come to an end, and the world was in the grip of a dangerous pandemic. That's right, a pandemic. However, a hundred years later, the world has not ended, and wherever you are, I hope you're safe and well, and using the time as best you can. For instance, by improving your English, and listening to podcasts. Well, let's hear the poem. It was written by the famous American poet Robert Frost, and it is called Fire and Ice. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favour fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. Well, as you can see, dear listener, the language in this poem is actually quite simple. In fact, Robert Frost had an amazing ability to use simple, everyday language to create something rather deep and mysterious, not to mention a little disturbing. Now, you might not have heard the word perish, as in, if it had to perish twice. To perish means to die or to expire, and sometimes on very cold days we say that it's perishing outside. So perhaps it's an appropriate choice for an apocalypse of ice. And if you're listening from somewhere like Spain or Italy, well, you can save that one for your visit to Scotland. Now, you might have noticed that the second line, some say in ice, and the last two lines, is also great and would suffice, are distinctly shorter than the rest. This makes the conclusion of the poem quite striking, especially as the final rhyme suffice neatly rounds off the connection to some say in ice. But at the same time, because these lines are shorter and don't quite fulfil your expectations, they create something of an anticlimax. And altogether, this gives the ending of the poem a real bite, a little bit like the bite you feel when you leave your house on a cold day. OK, that's all very well, but what's it all about? So the world is going to end in a great apocalypse of either fire or ice. 
You might even say that there's a battle going on between fire and ice to see which will be first to destroy the world. And if you like your TV series, you might be thinking that that sounds vaguely familiar. That's because this poem was a part of the inspiration for a certain series of books that was recently made into a popular TV series. At any rate, it was the inspiration for the title, which is A Song of Ice and Fire, or as it's better known, A Game of Thrones. Now what do you think of, dear listener, when you think of the end of the world? Well, funnily enough, we refer to the end of the world quite often in English. Let's take a famously British example. You've gone to make a cup of tea, only to discover that your partner has eaten all the tea cakes. Not only that, but they've even finished off all the biscuits, even the shortbread. And then to crown your suffering, you open the fridge and you find that they've drunk all the milk as well, so there's none left to go in your tea. Well, that's a serious situation, and potentially a dangerous one for the relationship, but you might say to yourself, it's not the end of the world. So what about the real end of everything? Well, as a matter of fact, there are theories that we really will be finished off in either fire or ice. Either the sun will explode many, many years in the future, and Earth will be burnt up, or alternatively, the sun will expire and life on Earth will be wiped out by a final deadly ice age. Now, as you can tell, I'm not a scientist, but this is roughly what Robert Frost was told shortly before writing the poem by a famous astronomer called Harlow Shapley. Shapley later referred to this as an example of the influence of science upon art. But there is clearly much more to this poem than that. Fire is paired with desire, and ice is paired with hate. Now what do you make of that? Well, we often think of desire as a hot emotion. You might come across phrases such as burning with desire, the heat of passion, or even the flames of lust. However, we don't usually think of hate as something cold. If anything, it's similar. You could be burning with hate, or consumed by hate. That's to say, we don't normally think of desire and hate as opposites in the same way as fire and ice. But on the other hand, writers also use the phrase frozen with hate. And besides, the important thing about fire and ice in the poem is that they both have the same power of destruction. But there is a theory that all of this can be understood by comparing the poem with Dante's Inferno, or in my best Italian accent, Inferno by Dante Alighieri. In Inferno, hell is divided into nine layers, or rings. The higher of the rings of hell, which are a little bit less painful, are reserved for those who have sinned through passion or desire. The lower of the rings of hell, are reserved for those who have sinned knowingly. They have sinned through reason, which is the unique ability which separates human beings from animals, and must be used responsibly. Consequently, the lowest and worst part of hell is reserved for the traitors, whose punishment is to be submerged in a lake of ice. It's easy to find a parallel here between the nine rings of hell 
and the nine lines of Robert Frost's poem. At the top, you find the dangers of desire. At the bottom, you find the dangers of cold hate. Not only that, if you look at the poem on the page or on the screen, because of the short lines at the end, it seems to contract or get shorter as it goes down, just like Dante's Hell. Of course, this doesn't necessarily relate to the end of the world. Instead, you could think of the end of one life, that is, one person's world. Or it could be the end of innocence, doomed to destruction by the evil to be found in every crooked corner of human nature. Keep thinking along those lines, and the poem will start to seem very dark indeed. But perhaps there are other ways to look at it. Instead of the world, you could, at a stretch, think of almost any problem or dilemma. You can deal with it either passionately or coldly, positively or negatively, with action or with neglect. And ultimately, at least if you take your attitude to an extreme, the result will be pretty similar. And while it's hard to see the conclusion as anything but destruction, you could always say that the destruction of something is the beginning of something else. After all, Robert Frost does suggest that the world might have to end more than once. But before we get too tangled up in all these threads of analysis, we should remember that the most important interpretation, dear listener, is yours. So with that in mind, let's hear the poem again. Just a quick reminder that you can find a full transcription of everything I've said on my website. So if you haven't understood everything, don't worry. It's not the end of the world. Here it is again, Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favour fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll see you in two weeks' time. I'll be releasing a new episode once every fortnight. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss it. And next time, we'll be looking at one of the most popular poems in the English language. So I'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.